So on the morning of January 13th, 2018, at 8.07 a.m., this message was sent to all the residents of Hawaii over television, radio, and even text message. This message right here. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Did anyone remember this in the news, right? right? Just like that, in all caps, it was sent to them, just like that. Now, can you imagine receiving uh, this particular message? Right? The, the sheer panic that probably arose in those individual lives. So, so here's the question. How are you in an emergency situation? <laughs> Christina's laughing because she's awful. Right? She just straight freezes. Right, so how are you in an emergency situation? If this had happened to you, if you were in Hawaii at this time, what would you have done? Called your mom, right? Uh, called your kids, quit your job, put your feet up for 30 minutes, I don't know what. Right? Would you pray? Right? How would you react if you received that message? You saw it on billboards, you saw it on your phone, on the TV, on the radio. Right? I looked up some of the messages that people sent in response to receiving that notice on that day. And here are just a few. I don't know what's going on or where it's headed, but just in case, I love you guys. That was sent from a daughter to her parents. I'm sure there was thousands of messages just like that. A single mother texted her friends on the mainland. She said, she said this, four minutes left if they've launched it, please pray we get inside on time. Right now, there, there was uh, one from a parent who were visiting California, and they left their high school kids still in Hawaii. Could you imagine that scenario? And so they said this to their daughter. They said, honey, take shelter. I love you. Right? The final, in their mind, message. There were so many messages that were sent that day. And my favorite, because this would be my text if I was in Hawaii to Christina, if something like this happened. And this is my favorite. Wake up and answer your phone. Right? Call me immediately, BTW. Now, for you older folks, that's by the way. I love you. Because Christina is known for just leaving her phone in her purse dead for like weeks upon weeks. I could be, I mean, I travel internationally, and she won't answer her phone. (laughs) It's just the way it is. So there are so many messages that were sent on that day. Messages of love, messages of fear, uh, definitely messages of anxiety. But there was one other text that you should know about, and you probably do if you've seen this news story. Because at 8.45 a.m., just 38 minutes after the initial alert was sent, a second emergency alert was sent, which stated this. There is no missile threat or danger to the state of Hawaii. Repeat, false alarm. And so as my wife likes to say, oopsie poopsie. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh, right? Right? This story took over the country in 2018, and I remember immediately thinking, ah, man, someone's getting fired. Someone is losing their job. But I want you to imagine for just a second what those 38 minutes must have felt like. Think about that, right? 38 minutes uh, thinking that this was it. This is it. Right? 38 minutes of thinking you only had minutes to live. 38 minutes where the whole world just felt different. 
All right, think of the power in that one message. Right, that, that one message drastically changed the world for the people who, of Hawaii that day. That one message changed everything. I mean, have you ever, have you ever thought about it, Foundry Church? Have you ever thought about the power of one message? How, how powerful one message it can be? Think about it. Right, try to remember the first time that you heard the words, I love you. Powerful. Right, what about the first time someone told you that I'm, I'm proud of you? Right? Um, I remember the first time someone told me that I was really good at something. What about you? Right, what messages do we remember? Do you, you remember the first time you heard, man, you're so smart? Hey, maybe some of you haven't heard that one yet. <laughs> All right, message, messages have, have power. I heard it said once that, that words build worlds. Have you ever heard that, right? Words build worlds. Isn't that what the messages we hear, don't they, isn't that what they do for us? Or are the messages that we put into our ears doing everything but building us up? Because there was, there was a recent study done on the effects that reading about world news on social media does into our brain as a result of reading these news. And, and they come up with this term. You've seen this. You guys heard about this. It's headline stress disorder. It, it's the disorder that we have in our minds from hearing about the news from all around the world at all the times on our, our Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, whatever, uh, on YouTube, all the different news channels, right? Headline stress disorder. The, the message that we see online concerning what is going on in the world are literally changing our mental health, whether they're good, bad, or, or ugly. Right? It's just a lot of information, a lot of messages. You see, messages have power in our lives. They have impact, and our God, the God that we forge our life on, he knows this. He knows that messages of any kind have an impact on our lives. He knows it so well, in fact, that all throughout the Bible, God, the God that, that we're forging our life on, has been sending messages to his people. And as I was preparing uh, for today, I tried to do something stupid. I tried to look up all the times in the Bible where the word message or a message from God uh, appeared in the Bible, and that just took way too long. Good exercise, but we would be here until next Sunday if we looked at all of those, right? And so let's just say that there's a lot where, where God had something to say to his people over and over again, right? God, create the creator, our God, isn't that amazing? He has a message to his people, to those who forged their life on him, pointing them in the right direction, or, or picking them up, patting them off, like dusting them off and, and sending them on the right way, or reminding them of his righteousness or his love for them, or, or he's just reminding us that he's with us uh, as we own our spiritual growth, as we look at what we can do to take steps and forge a lifelong reliance on God like we're supposed to. Right, all over scripture, over and over again, God has a message for his people. And the same is true today for us sitting here right now, today. Right? He still has a message for us. God never stopped talking to us. Here's the problem. All right, here, here's the, the crux of the matter. I just think somewhere along the way, we stopped listening. 
right? And just be honest, right? Some authenticity here. I think somewhere along the way, we stopped listening. Somewhere along the way, we let the noise of the world, the other messages, uh, drown out the message of the one who created the world. I mean, let's, real quick, let's look at what it says in John chapter 8, verse 47. It says, the person who belongs to God, right? The person forging their life on God listens to the message from God. Right, if we are truly to be people who forge our life on God, who own our spiritual growth, one of the our measures in forged, right, the O, right, well then we should be listening to what He has to say to us. God has important messages for us even here today. And so as we go through this season of Christmas, this Advent season, I, I want to spend some time looking at the, a few different messages that God sent surrounding the birth of Jesus, God in the flesh, God the Son. Each week, this, in the next few weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, we're going to focus on a def- different message sent by God, and I believe that we will find ourselves in one or maybe all of these stories. And listen, my, my prayer is that when, as it says in John 8, it, it would be true of us. That when we, we pray and as we seek God, we're going to understand and we're going to listen to his message as people who forge a lifelong reliance on God. So let's begin today by turning to the book of Luke, and you'll be in the very first chapter. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke. Luke is in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, please use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. And as always, you can take those Bibles with you to have, to take, to use, to give away, um, have an extra one to give to somebody. You can give those invite cards that Mackenzie was talking about. You can give, uh, if you know someone would like a Bible with that, you can give one of the Bibles away too, right? So Luke is where we're going to be, and as you're turning there, Luke is in the New Testament. Use the table of contents if you need to. Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book of the New Testament, so the second half of the Bible. All right? Luke is the third book in the New Testament. It was written by Luke, a doctor who was uh, not a Jewish man. He was like a a Gentile, a non-Jew. But we're picking the story up for the Jewish people in a very dark time. For Israel, it was a dark time because it had been roughly 400 years since God had spoken to his people through the prophet Malachi. Christina likes to call Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, because it sounds more Italian. All right, so that's how I remember. All right, I don't know why I said that. All right, so it's been 400 years since the Italian prophet, no, all right, since, since Malachi had spoken, all right, it's been 400 years. And for 400 years, they had been waiting for the promised Savior. They had been waiting for the promised Savior, the one who would finally save them and restore them, waiting and longing. This is what they're longing for, a new message from God, from the God that they've forged their life on, and now it's, it's getting a struggle 400 years. And so for us, the non-Jewish reader, those who may not know about all the information of a coming Savior, Luke includes a story about one last person, one last person that God's going to use who will point the way to a coming Savior. So read with me Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Now let me turn there. I wasn't paying attention. All right. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. 
verses five through seven simply says this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah in the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. All right, that's verses five. Verse six says, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. That's just a nice biblical way of saying advanced in years. They old. All right? (laughs) So we are introduced to these two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Luke, this doctor, he tells us two things about them. First, what does he say? Both Zechariah and Elizabeth come from priestly families. That's why he kind of gives us a little bit of context. They come from priestly families. Rabbis run in both of their families. And then Luke describes this couple as what? Righteous and walking blamelessly in the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. They weren't just listening to God's word from long ago, right? They, they were doing God's word, right? What is one of the things we say around here? Information without transformation is just stupid, right? They were like, no, no, we're going to take this and we're going to better ourselves and those around us in our world. So they were doing God's word, right? They were living it out. Their lives were built around it. And we would say that they were forged people, all right, they, were, they were forged people. They were focused on God's kingdom. They owned their spiritual growth. They, they realized they were responsible for inviting others into the family of God. They were growing as leaders. They were embracing Christian community. They were developing a servant's heart. Like They were forged people. They were owning it. Right? They were doing it. They were putting the hammer down on the anvil. And then verse 7 starts with the infamous word. And I'm going to put it up on the screen. You can circle it in your Bibles. But. But. It's not the two T buts, so you don't have to laugh, all right? But, right? Zachariah and Elizabeth had all these things going for them. Uh, man, they were, they were respected in their community. They were good people with a close relationship with God. But, but, isn't there always a but moment in the story of our lives? All right? We know who the inappropriate people are here, right? <laughs> the immature ones are sitting over here. Right? For Zechariah and Elizabeth, it was that they, they did not have any children, right? So what is, what is yours, right? And I really want you to stop, and I want you to think for a moment, right? What is the thing that when you're telling the story of your life, what is that, that but moment or thing? What is that that thing that you've been waiting for, for what seems like an eternity? What is that one thing that you have been praying for for months or years or decades, and you are exhausted? Maybe it's a girlfriend or a husband. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a, a child. Maybe it's a healing. Maybe it's a deliverance of something. What is it? Because we all have something. I'm not going to say it. What is that one thing that you're, you're here longing for? What is it? You're thinking about that. Let me tell you this story. It's a really cool story. And and Christina actually found it for me. 
1977, NASA launched Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 to explore the galaxy. A golden record called the Sound of the Earth was uh, attached, was affixed to each of the twin spacecrafts. It was a message, this record in 1977, it was a message from Earth to anyone that was out there in the universe who might be listening. And so this record, it was going to contain both music and the sound of a human heartbeat. Over 30 years later, Annie Duran, who served as the creative director of NASA's famous Voyager Interstellar Message Project, her job, she was the DJ. She made the record, all right? She had a fancy title, but all she did was make a record. And she reflected on what she chose to include on this record, the sounds of the earth. And the first thing, she, this is what she said. She said, the first thing I found myself thinking of was this piece by Beethoven from Opus 130, something called the, the Cavantina Movement. Right? She said this, when I first heard this piece of music, I thought, Beethoven, how can I ever repay you? All right, what can I ever do for you that would be able to say thank you for what you have just given me? And so she says this, as soon as one of my colleagues said this message is going to last a thousand million years, this record, I thought of this great, beautiful, sad piece of music. The one she just described, of which Beethoven had written in the margins in his original, in his original uh, score of it, he wrote the German word for longing. He wrote the German word for longing. Part, she said, part of what we wanted to capture in the Voyager message was this great longing we feel. So in the end, NASA, right, they chose a great song of human longing next to a heartbeat and launched it into space. It's as if NASA, as if the scientists were saying to the rest of the universe this, this is who and what we are as a human beings, creatures of longing. Wow, that's powerful. Right, think about it, right? NASA knew it, it, when, when they sent that record into space, and God knew it when he chose to include the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah and the story of Jesus' birth, right, that we all have a but in our story. We all have a, a longing in our story, and God has a message for us. So let's read on and see what it is. Look at, look at verse 8 through, through verse 17 of this entire story. It says, now while, we were, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, right, verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot, right, they gambled, to enter into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared him, right, before Zechariah, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. In Zechariah, he was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Prayer, uh, prayer has, has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Right? And, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb." And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him 
in the spirit and the power of Elijah, a former prophet, to the hearts of the fathers, to the, he will, I'm sorry, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and make ready for the Lord a people prepared. All right, so, so just let me explain what we just read there. Only priests, only priests from a particular lineage could serve in the temple. And over the years, the number of priests, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. It multiplied. Right? It multiplied and multiplied. There were said to be as many as 20,000 priests in the time of Jesus. And so they used to cast lots, just kind of roll of the dice, to determine which priest would serve when and in what role. A roll of the dice. Right? It was a chance. And here's the thing. The, the, the lot to serve might fall on a priest only once in his life if he was lucky. All right, so this is, this is a big deal. So to a godly man, a man who's like really putting the hammer down on the anvil, is living that forged life, someone like Zacharias, right? This is a big deal. This was probably the biggest event of his, a tremendous privilege, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Right, let's just say he was pumped. Right, Zechariah, he, he had won the lottery. He had, he, he's going to the Super Bowl. He, he's won the Super Bowl. He's going in to do his priestly duties into the temple. And while he was doing that, an angel of the Lord appeared in front of him, which isn't normal. All right, I know we put angels on our Christmas trees. It, it was, it's not normal. Right? I've never had an angel appear to me while I was cleaning the baptistry or something. <laughs> And so Zechariah, he, he, he does what any of us would do. He freaks out, right? He freaks out because angels are terrifying. Look at the description of angels in your Bibles when you get home. They're terrifying. But after the angel calms him down, it's all right. He delivers an amazing message. Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to have a baby, and they're going to name him John. And not just any baby, look at what it says in verses 16 through 17, right? What does it say? John will turn God's people back to God, right? John's going to have a message. And in verse 17, it says that John's ministry is one that prepares for reconciliation in horizontal relationships, like in the family between fathers and sons, and in vertical relationships, like between the disobedient and the righteous, right? John had come to call people back to God and his ways of peace through repentance. That was John's message. So, so this message for, for Zechariah was not just about a baby, that they're going to have a kid, but about the message that the baby would have, right? And this would be, it have been amazing to hear. I think about it, right? Remember, like, what, what did we say? 400 years earlier, that prophet from Italy, that's not right, all right? Don't go <laughs> down, I'm just teasing. All right, the prophet Malachi had spoken of a messenger of the Lord who would come and he would prepare the way for the Savior. Right, his message was, there's going to be someone that has a message and they're going to prepare the way for not just Joe across the street, but for the Savior of the world, the Messiah, and that, that when this messenger comes, 
Right? Malachi, he says, many of the people of Israel will here bring back to the Lord their God to turn their hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Malachi saying, and when, when he has prepared God's people, suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So in one fell swoop, Gabriel, this angel, this messenger, says, I know that you and your wife, you're getting up there. Ooh, you're old. But God, but God, right? But God is going to give you a baby, and that baby is going to prepare the way for your long-awaited Savior. But God, look at those words up there, but God, right? Not just but, but God, right? That message flips every incomplete part of our life, Foundry Church. Every shameful thing we think we are holding on to, every part of us that has been longing and searching and toiling is changed with that two-word message, but God, but God. That two-word message in reality is overflowing with the gospel of Jesus, our Savior, for people like you and me who've missed the mark, who, who we know, we've, we've sinned, we've fallen short, however you want to describe it, right? right? We, we said uh, sin is an archery term. It it's, it's, it's means we're, we're, we're living our life and we're supposed to be hitting the target, but we pulled back our arrow and we shot it and we, we hit the cat over here, right? We didn't hit the bullseye, right? So, so for people like you and me who've missed the mark, we have, we have things that we're ashamed of. We have, we have things we wish we hadn't done. We have things that we wish we can do. We have hopes and dreams, but there's just something on us, holding us, right? So for those of us who of us who are lost and completely unable to save ourselves from our dead set rebellion against God, there may not be two more hopeful words that we could utter than but God, right? And isn't that just like God, the God that we forge our life on, to turn our expectations into our turning points, the things that have, that have us saying, I am all these things, I'm all these things, but I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good, but isn't it just like our God that has us saying those things, turn it into moments where we can become what we truly are created to be by God? Right? Every, every time people described Zechariah and Elizabeth, they said great things about them, and they always ended it with, but they, right? But now, everything's going to change. Right now, every time people describe Zachariah and Elizabeth, they would still list all the great things about them. Like they're good people, and they would list, uh, and that list would now and forever more end with the words, "But God," not just "but," but God. And for some of us, we hear this message and we think, finally. Finally, there's hope. Finally, our, our waiting is over. We hear but God and we rejoice. But let's be honest, a lot of us are more like Zechariah. Because look at the rest of his story, verses 18 through 25. We, 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 we kind of react like this. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. 
don't call your wife old. <laughs> and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. All right, verse, verse 21 says this, And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept uh, making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service has ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. We, we don't need to explain. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. All right. Zechariah doesn't just jump for joy, but instead he finds himself wondering aloud, how's this plan going to work? How will this happen? And they're both advanced in years, and Elizabeth has been barren. The sign that Gabriel gives Zechariah comes in the form of a mild rebuke, doesn't it? Zechariah will not be able to speak for nine months until the baby is born, but even his, his, but even his discipline, this, this rebuke, is a sign of the Lord's favor, is it not? Think about it, right? It is a tool that brings Zechariah to trust in God's word, what God says. You see, the irony in Zechariah's discipline is that he and the nation of Israel had believed that God was essentially mute for the past 400 years, but who's mute now? <laughs> All right? God's word and promises were present all along. What Malachi said was going to come to pass, was going to happen. He just doesn't work on our timetable. I recently learned that McDonald's drive throughs all have a goal of 50 seconds from the time the customer places the order into the time that they're driving away. All right, we all I know, we all laugh, right? <laughs> right, this is crazy, right? And believe me, I, I've been there a bunch of times when it was much more than 50 seconds until I was driving away. Right, I, I, I think we often treat God like he's a McDonald's drive through Right? Yeah. You know, like, here's our order, God. Now make it happen and make it quick. And we haven't got all day. Right? So we, we, we go to our Mick God with our cravings and we place our order. And not, only, and not only does our order not come to us right away, but instead of the order we place, we get something totally different or we hear that the ice cream machine's broken. <laughs> and we're annoyed and we're frustrated maybe even angry. And so we think to ourselves, we're just going to take our business elsewhere. I'm going to go somewhere else. Has this ever been you? I mean, think about it, right? If you're anything like me, all too often, I, I go to make God with my order, and I become impatient in the waiting. It seems like, like God is silent, so, so I kind of get on with my life. I just move on. I just go to the next place with the drive-thru, the next most convenient thing. I, I try to muscle through my disappointments, and I distract myself. I listen to what the world has to offer me. You know, oh, watching Netflix distracts me from my disappointment. Oh, eating this and drinking that regularly um, can, can, can help me, right? Maybe, maybe this pleasure is what I really need. 
If only I, I could be more respected and successful in my job. I'll go on this vacation. I'll invest in this. I'll control this. I'll manage this. I'll, I'll seek these things and not worry about the struggle here. What we can see, see seems like, like solid and tangible ground to build our lives on. Right? When, when the drive-thru works smoothly and we, can, we grab it and it's right and it's easy and we see it and it's convenient, that seems like it's good and solid and tangible and we can build our lives on it, especially when God's word seems silent or irrelevant. So does our life look like we've taken our business elsewhere and are we are trusting in other things rather than God's word and God's promises? We just go down to the next drive-thru. Right, but, but, but here, in this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we can see that God, he's not silent. Right? He has spoken. Right? The, the problem is all too often we're not listening, like we said earlier, or we hear what he says, but we don't really believe. Right? We, when he says, I have come to give you abundant life, like it says in John, we say, really, you call this abundant? He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we say, when? Like the desires of my heart right now? Because I don't seem to be getting those. So when, when Gabriel shows up and he speaks this, this word of promise to Zechariah, it's not that the, the promise is lacking. Gabriel doesn't promise Zechariah a new set of priestly robes and a limited edition Isaiah scroll or something. <laughs> right? No, he promises to Zechariah it's something that was amazing, so amazing that Zechariah, he just couldn't believe it. Because he's used to going to that next drive through so are we. So, so church, the, the truth is that God's promises have always been beyond human belief or understanding. We just sing about it. It's to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. He's at work. He's the one doing it. Right, those, those turning points in our lives should be beyond belief because then we will truly know that only God the God that we forge our life on can do it. Right? Only God can turn our mess into a message, Foundry Church. Right? So let's finish off this story by jumping down to verse 57. Look at it there in chapter 1. Verse 57. i got to get a bigger print Bible. <laughs> now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day came to, uh, circum they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. All right, because Gabriel said that. Right? And, and, and they said to her, none of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Right? And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosened and he spoke blessings to God. And fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about through the, all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with 
him. So nine months following Gabriel, the angel's appearance of Zechariah in the temple, the day came when their child was born. People were, were gathered around Elizabeth, rejoicing with her, celebrating, right, as, as friends and family do with an expectant mother. They finally had the child that they were longing for. This couple was longing for. It was born, a son. The birth was nothing short of a miracle. Everyone knew it, and everyone was gathered around to celebrate and to party. According to the Jewish law, on the eighth day following a birth, in accordance to, with the Lord, the, the law of the Old Testament, Zechariah and Elizabeth brought their child to be circumcised and to name him. It was common to name the child after his father, like the firstborn son especially. So everyone expected the boy to be named Zechariah. However, as God had instructed them, Elizabeth and Zechariah, we know, we just read it, had a different name in mind. John, because that's what Gabriel told them to name him. People were confused by this name because no one in the family was named John. Right? Since Zechariah could not speak, they motioned to him, seeking to confirm John what was really to be the name of the boy. Zechariah responded with what would be the first text message in all of history by writing on a piece of paper, his name is John. Right At this moment, after nine months of silence, Zechariah was able to speak. Now listen, this is where it gets good, guys. He was able to speak, and he opened his mouth, and he began by blessing God and also giving a prophecy. Right, And Zechariah goes on, he, he, he goes on, he blesses God, he gives God honor and adoration and praise. And I'm not going to read it all right now, but this blessing, it's there. And there's also a prophecy that you can see that his joy isn't in being a dad. You catch that, right? His joy is not in being a dad after such a long wait. You, you would think that's what he would be filled with joy about. Right? That's what he would be happy about. For, but for Zachariah and Elizabeth, joy is not in the, the favorable change in their circumstances. Because it was favorable, but it was a change in their circumstances. They were barren, now they aren't. Their joy, listen, Founder Church, it's rooted in the fact that this child represents that God's purposes were being fulfilled for God's people and that salvation was coming. That salvation is at hand. Salvation is near, right? This, this, this baby John goes on to be John the Baptist, right? The cousin of Jesus, come, come, no, the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Their hopes, Zechariah and Elizabeth, their hopes were, were was not secure in, in the blessing of the baby of what they got, but in the salvation of another baby, and the salvation that that baby was going to bring, their life had been completely changed, not because of their longing for a baby was over, but because their longing for a savior was over. You see, in their waiting, God was working, and he sent them a message, a short two-word gospel of hope message, but God, but God, you're waiting for a baby, I'll give you a baby, but that baby's going to point a message to another baby, and that baby's going to be the savior of the world. But God, but God, that's what the Advent season's all about. Not just the buts that we have in our stories, but God, but God. I want to close by telling a story today. The band can work their way on up. In 1983, in 1983, there was a group of Brazilian people who were going to plant a mission station among the Palmieri people. 
It was a very small group of indigenous people in Brazil living in the jungle, deep in the jungle. And the only money that this group of missionaries had was, was this, this little team. They, they, they only had a few hundred dollars left after they bought all their supplies and food to stay in the jungle just for a short while. But they were planning to be there for months. They, but they only had enough supplies for a couple weeks, and they only had a couple hundred hours left to actually get out there into the jungle. So trusting in God, they hired the owner of the smallest boat that they could find, and the price that he uh, charged was the exact amount that they had left, right? The, the exact amount that they had saved for the trip. And they set out with, with just their little bit of food for only a short trip, and there was no kerosene, no other supplies, and after a five-day trip up the rivers in the jungles, they found a man with a large canoe that was available to take them even further into the jungle, further than what the, the other boat captain would go. Once they arrived, they had nothing left, and they weren't sure how they were going to survive. They had no food, and they had nothing left, and they were going to be there for the next couple of months. With no way out of the jungle and with not nearly enough supplies, they found them saying this, We are here, God. We are here, God. We have been faithful, but we have no idea how we're going to make it. And then in front of the very first hut they found on the outskirts of a village that no one's ever been to, one of the missionaries shouted from, from a, a far-off piece of land in, in the native language. He, he shouted, is that you? That's a weird thing to shout. <laughs> but an old woman popped up. And she answered from the top up on the hill, yes, it's me. <laughs> right? And they understood each other. So, so they, they did not seem to, she didn't seem like, she wasn't freaked out. She didn't find it strange that these strangers were speaking to her in her language. So all the missionaries, they climbed up into her hut and they sat ceremoniously on the floor. After a good hour of conversation about the trip, she asked uh, what they were there to do. Uh, one person answered, we are our missionaries. And, and she, he had to describe that. And he, he says, we want to help you to know Jesus, the son of God. And this lady, this old lady, she looked up at them with a kind of puzzled expression on her face. And she started shouting to one of her grandsons. She said, Denalio, Denalio, come over here. These missionaries have arrived. Take them to their house. Take them to their house. These people don't know about Jesus. They've never heard of Jesus. And the missionary said, our home, our house, what are, you, what are you talking about? She pointed to an empty tall hut nearby, one of the nicest ones in the, in the village. And Denalio, she said, Denalio and I built this hut two summers ago preparing for your arrival. We heard on a, on a little radio uh, about God. We didn't know what, what was meant by that, but we heard that there was a creator, God, and that he had a son named Jesus, and he wants to help us. We were confused by that, and so we figured if God wants us to know his son, Jesus, someone would come and tell us. There would be a messenger. There would, someone would come and expand on this message. And, and so we, we built this home for you to stay in, for the messengers to stay in. And every day, they studied the word of God. They ate abundant fish. They had flowers and fruit. Because God. Because God. Not, not but. Like the missionaries, they're going into this story thinking, oh, but. Well, we don't have any food. We don't have any money, resources, but God. But God. Rich Valdez, one of my favorite authors, he puts it like this. 
He says, the good news of the Christmas season is not that we are faithful in our waiting. Because if we're faithful in our waiting, we, we, we're eventually going to go to that next drive-thru. We're not faithful. He says, we're not faithful. It's that God is faithful in his coming. That's Christmas. It's not about what we do. It's about who God is, and he's coming. 